Make a Developmentally Disabled Boy Cry, Lose Your Family. Story by Ashley or else one. My former boss is the worst human being I've ever met. He did all sorts of things to mess with anyone he didn't like. So a while ago I was at a family event in a local park, walking with a young boy from our family who is developmentally disabled with Down syndrome, Ben. Ben does fairly well all things considered, but he's always been sensitive to anyone making fun of the way he looks or his condition. We are just having a good time on our little stroll, Ben and I both enjoying the day. Along comes my boss walking toward us. I'll call him Rob. I cringe at seeing him but smile and say hello to play nice. Rob, there's something you don't see every day. A pair of ugly retards walking together. Ben bursts into tears as Rob laughs and walks off. I deal with Ben and ignore Rob. I'm super pissed and trying to calm Ben down because for a few minutes he was totally distraught. Finally I get Ben to focus on how he has me and a lot of other awesome friends and family and that Rob is a stranger and what he thinks doesn't matter. We walked some more and I saw that Rob was at the park with his wife and teen daughter having a cookout and he had apparently been on his way back to his family from a trip to the toilet when he saw us. Back to being super pissed. I went back to our gathering and talked to an adult cousin of mine, Jake, telling him what happened. Jake wanted to get revenge on Rob, but I reminded him that this was my boss. I didn't want Rob to be able to know the revenge had anything to do with me because then he'd make my work life even worse than he already had. So Jake asked me for anything I knew about Rob that might help. I told Jake a bunch of things about Rob, but the relevant info here is that Rob liked to drink a particular kind of locally made beer at a certain bar. Rob had talked of having drank there on the previous Friday night while his wife and daughter were away visiting her family. Also, Rob had recently told a story at work about his wife's obsession with a particular little green fictional character. Let's call it Yabby Boda. Turns out his wife kept a stuffed Yabby Boda on their bed at all times. I wasn't there for the revenge setup itself because I didn't want Rob to see me, but Jake filled in the details afterward. It was basically this. Jake approached Rob and put an arm around his shoulders and tried to kiss him. Rob pushes him off. Rob, what are you doing? Rob's family is now paying attention. Jake, I am just so excited to see you, sweetie. Friday night was so amazing. Rob, what are you talking about? Jake, seriously, you're going to act like you don't remember now? I know you were a bit tipsy after all of those, specific local beers. Rob, nothing happened later. Or ever. I don't even know your name. Jake, really? You were screaming it on Friday. Rob, turning red, you lying son of a. Rob's wife, interrupting, listen, I don't know who you are, but this is my husband. I'm sure you have him mistaken for someone else. Please just leave us alone. Jake, oh no, I'm not mistaken. We had the best sex ever on Friday night and now he's acting like he doesn't even know me. Rob's wife, I told you, this is my husband. You're mistaken. Jake, oh, maybe I am. I guess it was someone else who took me back to his place on, Rob Street, and had great sex with me on the bed right next to Yabby Boda. Sorry. Jake turns and walks away. Rob's wife, oh my god, Rob, WTF is wrong with you. You're gay now? Really? Already long story made a bit shorter, Rob's wife wasn't real happy with him anyway and this was apparently the tipping point that made her file for divorce soon thereafter. Rob frequently complained at work in the following months about how he didn't care about his wife but really missed his daughter and how much it sucked to live in his new place compared to his old home. Every time he complained about his lack of a home life at work, I knew he did it to himself when he was mean to a developmentally disabled kid. The best part is he never figured out I was involved at all. 
Keeping me up at night with your parties? Enjoy being shamed on the national news. Story by you slash Vleeken and Venelren. In September of 2020, the apartment next to mine was let out to two young women, both students. After they settled in a bit, it turned out they wanted to have a party. No big deal, except Belgium was in full lockdown at this point due to COVID, and you were supposed to only have one fixed visitor over. But then again, to be young again etc., so I didn't really care. During this time, I was working in healthcare. I work with the mentally disabled, but I volunteered for the ad hoc COVID team, meaning I got called upon to tend to those residents who were sick and needed quarantining, or were effectively diagnosed with COVID. This meant pretty long working hours and I spend about 10 to 11 hours a day at work, with a full hour bike ride to and from work. Needless to say, I was pretty tired pretty much all the time. So I wasn't looking forward to the noise from a party, but I'm pretty chill and know that living in the city, some noise is to be expected. So they are having their party, and I can stand some noise and music. But this party was fucking wild. People shouting full on, in the hallway. Wrecking things etc etc at about 4 in the morning, I introduced myself to the neighbors and asked them when they could expect their company, plus 20 people, to leave. And if they could refrain from having a party the next day, as I have to work and get up at 6 every day. So they promised they would keep it down the rest of Tay night, they didn't, and that they wouldn't have a party the next day. Plot twist, they did have another party. And then did another one the day after. At this point, I had been going a full three nights without sleep and was nearing neurosis. Every night I had talked to the girls and every night they would be full of apologies and stuff, but nothing would change. I also felt terrible when I had to enter their place, because it would be absolutely packed with people and I work with some very vulnerable people at work who I wouldn't want to spread COVID to. This was pre-tests, pre-vaccines, pre-much of the knowledge we now have about COVID. Luckily the weekend came and they went to their parents and I could recover a bit. Suffice to say, I wasn't really liking my new neighbors. During the next few weeks, they refrained from big parties, but they would have a constant flood of people coming over during the night. And by constant, I mean constant. Like their bell would ring 70 times a night and people would always be coming or going. And those people would be drunk and loud. Our communal hallway is pretty much an echo chamber because it's all stone and any noise will travel throughout the building. Basically I couldn't rely to sleep at night. It drove me crazy. I could only sleep Friday through Sunday, because then they would go off to their parents or whatever. I couldn't grasp how they could know this many people that would always be coming and going. During one night, while knocking on their door to complain about the noise, I encountered my upstairs neighbor. Who is also on Reddit, hi, and decided that we would have to join forces to get this to stop. My neighbor told me some important bit of information. The reason there were people coming and going all the time was because they used their apartment as a makeshift bar slash hangout. During this time, bars were closed due to COVID and all those students were using the big apartment to hang out. Moreover, across the street was another frat house with five boys living there, and that too was a secret hangout. So people would hang out at those two places and cross the street if they wanted a different atmosphere or wanted to see their other friends etc etc and the boys from across the street would also come over 15 times a night. Most visitors seemed to be law students or affiliated with them. Basically our communal hallway was just a part of their cafe space now. So we tried talking to the girls. Then we started to talk to the visitors. None of them had any sympathy for us when we were asking them to be quiet at 4 in the morning. Most of them just laughed at us, as we were the pesky neighbors no doubt. Even more of them were just so wasted that they didn't know what they were doing. So we started calling the police, dozens of times. Most of the times, they weren't let in and police told us they couldn't do anything. We kept calling, as we wanted a record of our calls in the system. 
Belgium was still in full lockdown at this point and what they were doing was full-on illegal. Even so, police told us their hands were tied if they wouldn't open the door. When the police couldn't help, I turned to the next best thing, I'm a social worker and so I have no problems looking up information and calling around to look for help. This is what I did. Most places, student unions, police, town hall, were understanding but couldn't really do much. So I acted on the suggestion of the upstairs neighbor and contacted one of the girls dean. I shot him a nice email about sorry to have bothered him and taking up his time, but I had this big group of students from his faculty ganging up every night and maybe he wanted to know about it since they were breaking every possible COVID rule that existed at that time? Especially since me and my neighbor were about to go to the papers with this story, as secret lockdown parties were becoming a thing in the papers at this point. This dean called me back right away and we had a nice talk about our problems. He told me he was on it. So basically what he did was call the law student girl, and her parents. Big drama ensued and we finally got to sit down with the girls and they finally sounded like they were sorry. Tears were shed, for which I had no patience tbh. We learned that the police had actually been inside a few times and they were issued tickets for having secret parties. Those were 300 euro each a pop, so no idea why they didn't just stop. We learned they were not happy because the dean had called them up at 11 o'clock and they were still asleep. To which I said, well there is your problem. You are still asleep at 11 o'clock. I'm up at 6 every day and you girls haven't been a bit understanding about that. So we got to feel a bit like we got our revenge and we got to vent, but we kept it kinda nice and parted in good terms, hoping that this would bin it and we could live together as nice neighbors. But if that were the case, I wouldn't be here, right? You'd think they would've gotten the point now, and would refrain from making noise and partying. Well, you'd be wrong. Basically what they did was they moved to the frat house across the street and started partying there. There were slightly less people running to and fro, but the noise was still a problem and we were now in the middle of the second COVID wave and these people were meeting up with big groups like crazy, while I hadn't seen a soul in almost a year. Never mind the people at my work, who were forbidden from even going to their own friggin' family. The whole thing was just ridiculous. My upstairs neighbor happened to film such a party across the street and had sent the clip to me. We were thinking about going to the press with our story but weren't really sure if it would be a good idea. So I posted the clip of the party on the subreddit of our country to test the waters. It got quite some comments and upvotes and it seemed most people were also sick of people disregarding the rules and having secret parties. After some talks with the upstairs neighbor, we decided to contact the press and simultaneously go up a step in the university hierarchy and contact the vice rector that had the power. Things moved fast. Local news actually picked up our story from Reddit and contacted me and we gave some background info. They confirmed with the police that cops had been dozens of times to our address and across the street and weren't let in most of the time. We mentioned that the university was involved and that we hoped they would finally intervene. The next day, the piece was on their website. It went viral there, and got promoted to the sites of most national newspapers. Its headline was sensational enough, mentioning the dozens of times police had showed up and also mentioning how healthcare workers were being kept up by selfish students. At the same time, the vice-rector contacted us to take our statements, which we already had prepared up on paper, and informed us they would investigate and could possible start up disciplinary actions. At the same time, more reporters were contacting me throughout the day and we made sure to mention that to her and link the university the printed articles. The next day, while at work, I got a message from the upstairs neighbor that a film crew from the national news was at our doorstep. He declined to talk to them, and I would have done the same, since this was getting pretty big now, but they made a segment anyway. And sure enough, that night at 7, here was my street and a short section about cops standing in front of a closed door a dozen times and the local press cop talking about the troubles of closed doors.
Best part about it was that a student from the offending frat house across the street had let the film crew in, and said on camera exactly what were were accusing them off towards the university, that they had been having parties and didn't let the cops in and that they had done it multiple times. No idea what made him think that was a good idea. Anyway, trying not to make a huge story even longer, the press died down some time later, thank God, and the disciplinary action from the uni went through. Before the hearing, we sat down with the girls from our block and cleared some things up. We wanted to live like normal people together and we tried to make some amends. Because we put in a, kinda, good word for them, they got the lighter end of the stick, 40 hours of community service and some probation. The guys across the street got 80 hours each, and each had to write us a letter of apology, which I thoroughly enjoyed reading every time I got one. Sad part is, most of them sounded just like dumb young kids, but that was after getting called out on the news and being part of a disciplinary action. But we never wanted to escalate things this far. Some noise is to be expected when living in the same building and we were never going to go to these extremes for some expected noises. But these people went to the extremes and so we were forced to do the same. Rest of the year, a simple message on WhatsApp was enough to silence any noises we had coming from their apartment. If anything, I hope they learned that even very polite and chilled people can become very upset when presented with sleep deprivation and excessive noise. TL, Dr. Neighbor Frat students party full on in COVID lockdown and I call the dean and national news on them. They get shamed in the papers and on the biggest national news station and get scolded by their university. Want some free gas? I got you bro. Story by affectionate underscore gold underscore 84. Hope this qualifies as pro revenge. Let me know if needs removing. So several years ago, my friend, we'll call him Boris, and I would always help each other do the spring cleanup for our properties. This included taking out damaged trees, preparing garden plots, and taking care of our weed-infested yards. I was going to be first on the cleanup detail so I prepared tools and implements the Friday before the big cleanup was to happen. Sharpening tools and chainsaw chains, lawnmower blade, and just getting everything in order. Among those tasks was mixing had with two-cycle oil. Finished up kind of late and generally put things away for the next day. The next morning Boris shows up with coffee and biscuits around 8am. As we were sitting on his tailgate enjoying breakfast, my neighbors ride by in their beat to hell Chevy Cavalier smoking like a freight train. We will call them Rocky and Bullwinkle. Boris and I made the usual jokes about the amount of smoke pouring from the exhaust. Damn, bet they go to the gas station and fill up with oil and check the gas. We soon finished breakfast and thought no more about it. As we begin to get the tools laid out and is out a plan of attack, I cannot find my gas cans. No mixed gas, regular gas, or a gas can in general. That's when it dawned on us why the car Rocky and Bullwinkle were driving was smoking so bad. I'm pissed to say the least. Well, all Boris and I could do was go shopping for gas cans, gas, and more two-cycle oil. After we returned, we saw Rocky and Bullwinkle pass by several times, but all in all, we got a lot done. The next weekend we dedicated to clean up at Boris's. A weekend or two go by and we have a family dinner at my wife's, Rocky and Bullwinkle's grandparents. Toward the latter part of the evening we were having a few drinks. Most people had left and myself and wife's grandfather were shooting the breeze when I had to take a leak. As I was doing so, I saw a gas can with very distinct paint on it. I inquired from the old man about how it came into his possession and he stated Rocky and Bullwinkle left it there. I simply explained it was mine as was another and loaded them in my truck. It ate at me every time that Pa's car with my post neighbors went by. So I hatched a plan from a rotten egg. I went and bought a few gallons of gas, a few gallons of diesel fuel, and some other various oils. 
I made a concoction of these different chemicals and filled my new 6-gallon gas can I had to purchase. With some clean gas, I filled the lawn mower and cut some grass that evening making sure Rocky and Bullwinkle saw me. Then I put everything away but forgot and left that rotten egg gas can out. I got up and went to work the next morning and didn't even think to check on the can. But when I got home, I checked and it was gone. My wife informed me that my plan must have worked as she watched Rocky and Bullwinkle go in and out with the car not only smoking, but spitting and sputtering as well. The last time they rode out, they didn't ride back in. Hmm. They gave me about an hour of peace before they came over and wanted to know if I could look at the car and see what was wrong. If it could not be fixed on the side of the road, maybe tow it home. My response? I've had a long day and have a migraine. Maybe tomorrow. I saw the panic set in when I told them that. That's when they told me they had no insurance and it was on a main road. Tough luck. So the highway patrol did run across it and had it towed. It was going to cost them around $500 to get it out of impound plus they had to have current registration and insurance. Car wasn't worth it. Well, they're those type of people that good luck just falls on them and the pastor for a local church gave them an old for Taurus. Took me a few cans of rotten egg gas but I got the motor to lock up after about a month. This time it quit in their grandparents' yard. So, they scrapped it and as luck would have it, they got their income tax returns. They bought a nice looking Ford F-150 but it began having problems too. Smoked really bad. They did take it to a mechanic that eventually found the problem. He got the truck running right again for about $1,500 and I have never had any more gas come up missing. Thanks for reading. But I didn't retire. Story by Technogrind. My friend, I'll call her Sandy, worked at a travel agency in British Columbia, Canada. It was a small, owner-operated business with the owner and three employees including my friend. Everyone worked Monday to Friday from 9am to 5pm. One of my friend's co-workers, I'll call her Jane, an older woman in her early to mid-60s, was a long-time nuisance employee. Among other sketchy behavior, Jane was always scamming ways to take time off over and above her official paid vacation time. In order to make up for the lost hours, she would claim overtime hours slash pay by supposedly going into the office in her off hours to finish up work without being requested by the owner to do so. Despite being caught in her own lies on a number of occasions and being warned about trying to claim for unsanctioned overtime, the owner of the travel agency was reluctant to officially reprimand Jane or get rid of her. The reason being is the owner discovered after she had hired Jane that Jane had actually been fired from her previous job at another local travel agency for pulling the same stunts. However, Jane had sued her former employer for unfair dismissal and had won a settlement. After a few years of my friend Sandy working at the travel agency, the owner was ready to retire and offered to sell the business to my friend. Sandy took her up on the deal and took over the business while keeping on Jane and the other employee. Once again, just as the previous owner was afraid to get rid of Jane, so was Sandy for fear of being sued. When Sandy took over the business, she instituted guidelines regarding taking time off and she established an official no-overtime policy. Jane would still try with her shenanigans but was far less successful in getting what she wanted with my friend in charge. However, Jane still had one trick up her sleeve when she wanted to take time off on a whim. Sandy was a divorced single mom of two boys who were heavily involved in youth hockey. She would sometimes leave the office an hour or two before closing to get her boys to hockey practice or a game. In order to avoid requesting in person and potentially being denied, Jane would wait for Sandy to be out of the office to book a day off if she didn't feel like coming into work or had made plans. Sandy would then arrive at work the next morning only to discover that Jane wasn't coming in. 
Despite this happening a number of times, Sandy would usually let it slide since there was now a definite no overtime policy. Therefore, Jane could no longer claim to come into work on the weekend or after hours in order to try and make up for the day off. She would either miss out on a day's pay, in turn saving Sandy money as the owner, or it would come out of her remaining paid vacation days. Moreover, two people in the office at one time could usually handle everything. Jane not coming in was really a no-loss situation for Sandy. There was one time, however, when Sandy was going to be away for one or two work days just before the weekend to take her boys to a hockey tournament. She told both Jane and the other employee both verbally and in writing that they could not book time off for the dates in question since she would be away and needed both of them in the office. Within a few days of giving this notice, Sandy went into the office on a Saturday to do some paperwork and go through the sales for the week. This is when she discovered that, only the day before, Jane had booked a trip for her daughter and son-in-law to Las Vegas as well as a plane ticket in her name to Calgary where her daughter lived. Both the trip to Vegas and the ticket to Calgary coincided with the date Sandy would be out of the office. Sandy then checked the vacation booking schedule to further discover that Jane had indeed booked the days off that she had expressly been told she couldn't have. Not mentioning she had discovered the travel Jane had booked for herself and her daughter, Sandy emailed Jane telling her she would have to deny her the days off since she had already been told they were unavailable because she, Sandy, would be away and needed Jane in the office. Through a continued series of email exchanges, Jane replied and outright lied to Sandy with some excuse about her daughter getting some long-awaited medical treatment or surgery, and she needed to go to Calgary to help out for a few days and look after her granddaughter. Sandy replied to this lie by telling Jane she knew about the trip she had booked to Vegas for her daughter and son-in-law, that Jane's trip to Calgary was most likely to babysit her granddaughter while her daughter was in Vegas, and that she would still have to deny Jane the days off especially since she booked them after being told they were unavailable. Jane countered in her subsequent reply, without even addressing the fact that she had been caught in a lie, that she had been a dedicated employee of the travel agency for several years and couldn't understand why she was being treated so unfairly after all she had done for the business. She then wrote that since she wasn't being treated as a valued employee, she had no choice but to retire and was giving her two weeks notice. Despite Jane's threat, Sandy replied that she would still be unable to grant her the days off and left it at that without making any mention of Jane's threat to quit slash retire. Sandy then contacted her accountant, who also acted as her de facto business advisor, and explained what had happened with Jane. Also aware of Jane's previous shenanigans, Sandy's accountant told her that this was the out she had been looking for with Jane, and she had it all in writing. He told her that Jane had essentially resigned slash retired and all Sandy needed to do was honor Jane's desire to do so, let her finish out her two weeks, or pay her two weeks wages in lieu with no further severance pay legally required since she hadn't been fired. The following Monday, Sandy went into the office early accompanied by her long-term boyfriend to act as a witness. She put Jane's belongings from her desk into a box and took the things that were property of the business. Since Jane was old school and had resisted inputting client information in the computer database, this also included a small box filled with index cards which had client phone numbers, addresses, credit card information, and other personal information noted on them. In the meantime the other employee had arrived for work, and they all waited for Jane to show up. Jane arrived just before 9 o'clock acting as though nothing had happened and greeted everyone with a good morning as she walked through the door. However, she was apparently taken slightly aback when she noticed Sandy's boyfriend seated in the far corner of the office. At this point, Jane was midway to her desk when Sandy informed her that there was no need to go any further and that she had accepted Jane's notification of retirement. She then handed Jane a check compensating her for the hours she had worked in the current pay period as well as two weeks wages in lieu of Jane finishing out her final two weeks before her retirement. Jane was dumbfounded and went into panic mode, but I didn't retire.
I'm not ready to retire. Sandy responded that indeed she had retired, given her notice and had proof of it in writing. All Jane could do was continue repeating, but I didn't retire. I'm not ready to retire. While unsuccessfully attempting to get the support of the other employee who refused to come to her defense. Sandy then pointed to the box containing Jane's belongings, wished her a happy retirement, and told her to leave the office. Jane quickly rifled through the box and noticed that the small box containing the index cards with client information was not there. She insisted that Sandy return it to her which Sandy refused to do explaining that it was property of the business, contained personal client information, and that she would be in violation of Canadian privacy laws if she were to let Jane take it. Jane's shock had now turned to obstinance and she refused to leave without the box. Both the other employee and Sandy's boyfriend had started to get involved, repeatedly telling Jane to just leave. Sandy then informed Jane that if she didn't leave, they would have to call the RCMP, Canadian police, at which point, Sandy's boyfriend dialed the police to inform the dispatcher of a disgruntled former employee at XYZ Travel Agency who was refusing to leave the premises. Within a few minutes, two police officers arrived, and Jane immediately ran to the door ranting about being fired and about the missing box of client info. In order to de-escalate the situation, one police officer told Jane to come outside and explain to him her side of the story. The other officer remained in the office to hear Sandy's side of the story agreeing that Jane was not legally entitled to the box of client info. The other officer then re-entered the business and told Jane to wait outside. He said that Jane was insisting that Sandy was holding onto her personal belongings, namely a box of important information. Both Sandy and the officer who had spoken to her explained the contents of the box to the other officer who in turn agreed it was not Jane's property. The police officers then picked up the larger box of Jane's personal belongings, took it outside to Jane, and told her she needed to go home. To rub salt in Jane's wounds, the next day, Sandy put up a large sign in the window of the business congratulating Jane on her retirement and even put a small announcement in the local newspaper doing the same thing. The icing on the piece of revenge cake was Sandy, when filling out the necessary government forms for when an employee quits, gets fired, retires, made sure to check the box labeled retired for the reason for Jane no longer being employed. By doing so, Jane was ineligible to collect unemployment insurance benefits. Thank you for tuning in to listen to these stories, and I hope to see you on the next one. Till then, have an amazing day.